Welcome to Bringing Reading Back, a podcast where myself and my two co-hosts dive a bit deeper into some of our favorite books, as well as finally crack open a few that have been gathering dust a bit too long on our internal and actual bookshelves. So join us as we hopefully make a few more friends and rediscover our love of reading. And remember, this is not your mother's book club. Disclaimer, there will be spoilers in this and every other podcast episode. Thank you and enjoy. Hello, everybody. And welcome to Bringing Reading Back, your virtual book club podcast. I'm Tori, joined with my two co-hosts. Hey, I'm Danielle. This is Jade. And what book are we talking about tonight? We are discussing The Help, um, a national bestseller by Catherine Stockett. It is... um, was turned into a major motion picture that did very well. Uh, I think it it also won a lot of awards. Um, just a period novel. And who picked this book? So I picked this book. Um, and the reason that I picked it was because this is a book that I read back when it came out. Back in, let me check the copyright date on it. Back in 2009, whenever this book came out. I was in junior high, actually, the first time I read it. And... I remember my mom read it um, and really liked it, and then I read it and really liked it. I think a lot of the themes from that time went over my head the first time I read it, and so it was something that was really brought to my mind as I was looking through uh, book selections for this podcast. With the current climate um, of the world that we live in, like 2020 and just all of the tensions and all the issues that are happening, I felt like this book was a really good option and something that was really worth discussing and discovering. And also, I just really, really love the character of Minnie, and I really wanted to read read back through her story and read back to the story of all of the women in this book and really delve in. So, yeah. All right. We want to jump into some 30-second synopsises? Synopses? Synopsi? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Last week, Jade went first, and then Tori, and then myself. So this week I get to go first. Yay! (laughs) I butchered it last week, so I'm hoping that this week is a redemption for me. All right. So The Help by Catherine Stockett is a book about maids in Jackson, Mississippi. It's written by Miss Skeeter. Hilly Hallbrook is a horrible person and eats many species. er, Hallbrook freaks out. She wants to make people go into separate bathrooms. And the whole world is turned on its edge. Skeeter can't get a boyfriend, but she's okay with that because now she's an editor. Abelene is awesome and loves to write down things. Uh, Minnie has a horrible husband and goes to work for Messilia, who is married to the guy that Hilly used to date. And it's just a whole big mess and a whole bunch of bridge club. Ooh. And they smoke a lot of cigarettes. <laughs> a lot of cigarettes. <laughs> that was all over the place. <laughs> There's so many cigarettes in this. I'm like, y'all are going to get lung cancer. Hey, I feel like this book and the book after our next book, it's just all cigarettes all the time. Handmaid's Tale is all cigarettes? All cigarettes. (laughs) I have not gotten there yet, so I don't know. (laughs) I've just seen the TV show, so anyway. Alright, The Help is about (laughs) mostly just a whole bunch of white women at Bridge Club and their specific maids. So out of 200,000 people in Jackson, Mississippi, it just focuses on like five. Miss Skeeter is a 
editor wannabe who wants to write this great story, so she uses the story of the maids to do that, and the maids are telling stories about their white employers because, honestly, they've been dealt a shitty hand. So it deals with the systemic racism found in 1960s Jackson, Mississippi, and tells that through the stories of maids and other people. Whoa. Beautiful. I froze for, like, five seconds because I was like, fuck, I knew what I was going to yeah. say, and then I lost it. Okay, this is 1960s Jackson, Mississippi, some... Um, a young white woman who wants to be a writer who has not fallen into the whole get married, have kids uh, life. She decides to write a book that shines light on the perspective of the help. Um, it is definitely bringing to light some of the horrible nature of her friends and close family. But um, as we realize that the maids really do have a unique perspective that really uh, paints people in really bad light. And I'm panicking. Okay. <laughs> um, the book is published and does really good. I felt so confident at the beginning. That's why I was like, uh-oh. Uh-oh. Then near the end, I was just started starting to panic. <laughs> All right. We can get into some character breakdown. So, Skeeter, i.e. Eugenia Thielen. So, Miss Skeeter um, is really thought of as the woman who's going to be the town spinster. She is 23 years old. She is college educated. She has no prospects of ever landing a man, much to her mother's dismay. And she is so interested in becoming a writer. She really doesn't want to become a housewife. That's not what she has her goals set on. She wants to be a writer. She wants to be a professional. She wants to, you know, build this career for herself instead of building a foundation of a house and furs and fancy hair like all of her friends she is just obsessed with telling telling stories telling the truth and she really doesn't give a hoot what anybody thinks of her and I, I really admire that about her like she's definitely different from the other ladies um which I really appreciate I think that she does have some flaws but I really enjoyed just kind of her like well I don't like these women so they can get over it. Um, and she just has this constant desire to get out of Mississippi. Um, which is somebody who's, as someone who's from a rural area, I get that. So I think it's pretty interesting because it seems like Skeeter is a person who accidentally becomes uh, a champion or an advocate for a group of minorities. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like that probably happens more than we realize because it seems like Skeeter just never developed mm -hmm. the attitudes that her um, peers did because she grew up outside of, of town and then went to college. And so, um, and she was so close to her maid growing up that basically raised her. And so it seemed she just thought a lot differently than those ladies in town. Um, she humanized the people more, even from the beginning, the help, she humanized them more. Even in the beginning, Abilene notes that Skeeter is the only one who says her name or, like, thanks her genuinely, something like that, um, or greets her genuinely her instead of just saying, like, hi. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm -hmm. So even from the beginning, we see that Skeeter is a little different but she didn't set out to, like, cause or, like, do civil rights. She didn't set out to 
to break down barriers. All she wanted to do was find something interesting that nobody's written about so that she could publish a book. And ultimately, it becomes way deeper than she ever imagined into something that really is championing human rights, basic human rights. Is I mean, I think a turning point is where she, you know, continuously refuses to put Hilly's notice in the newsletter about her Home Help Sanitation Act. Um, and then the turning point, I think, where she really, it, it kind of changes from just writing something interesting to maybe writing something important, is when she's in the library and she sees that Jim Crow Law book and she writes Jim Crow Laws or Hilly's Sanitation Act. What's the difference? Mm-hmm. So she's seeing that even mm-hmm. even the close the people that are supposed to be the closest to her in her life, she's realizing that, you know, they're not these innocent, simple friends that she thought, but that, you know, they are the problem. They're part of the problem of, the, you know, what is standing mm-hmm. in the basic human rights of of these this group of people. And it is sad that she is, she's always called ugly in the book. That's so sad. I know. (laughs) It's heartbreaking. It's absolutely heartbreaking. No, Tori, I loved what you were saying. I think it, it has a lot to be said about, you know, you go through this phase whenever you're growing up that... Like, the people that you're around, um, at least for me, this is just a, something that I went through, but the people that I was raised around, the people I grew up with, I just thought they were the most wonderful human beings on the planet. And I still do. But I think that, and I don't know if this is just true for me or if this is true for you both as well, but going through a phase where you realize the people that you've idolized aren't perfect. I mean, when you're a kid and you go through that, that's like a really, that's a really traumatic thing. And I think that like, we get to watch Skeeter go through this phase where she's like, these people that I've loved my whole life are actually really terrible human beings. Um, yeah. Like, these people that I was friends with for so long are actually kind of crappy. So that was, like, a really interesting angle. I think every young adult goes through this point where they where you realize that uh, you kind of have this turning point, like, oh, adults actually don't have it together like I thought. <laughs> or you realize that, you know, you're your parents are just human mm-hmm. and also make mistakes but it's a little different and i think maybe the area that we live in and the era that we live in i think maybe we can relate to this a little bit because i know that i've grown up even in the last few years i've realized that my ideas or or, or things that i subscribe to don't match exactly the worldview of the people i was raised around so um, I think that this is a good book mm-hmm. because we're also in an era that's kind of changing and shifting uh, as we realize that maybe uh, not enough was done. So, yeah, I think that it's just an extreme version of what everyone goes through simply because of the tensions in, the you know, in the cultural and society and society at the time, culture and society at, at the time. I agree that Skeeter, like, fell into this understanding 
And I do agree that, like, she's always been at least, like, slightly different than her family and surrounding peers. But I don't want to say she was, like, completely different. Because at the same time, she was like, I'm going to jump right on this idea of writing for black women and their stories. And shows up at Abelene's doorstep, just like, here's my great idea. Like, not taking into consideration. Unannounced. Well-being. Right. Not mm-hmm. giving her any warning. Like, just kind of, like, assuming that she would welcome her at her house. Like, not doing any research about, like, why this is actually dangerous. Right. Not mm-hmm. that much research had to be done. She just had to turn on the news. And, like, right. shit was on the news about, like, people being killed or, like, houses being burned or whatever. So, like, she she was different. But also, like, she wasn't. And like, she like she grew a lot during her story, which is the point of the story. She also was she was just out of touch. So, right. She was yeah. out of touch with the reality right. of what was going on and what this, you know, the implications that this kind of endeavor would have on her and the people involved, the maids involved. At least in the beginning of her writing these stories, she's like kind of got this idea of, oh, it's all going to be perfect and everything is going to look great and everything is going to go exactly the way we want it to, yada, yada, yada. Not realizing that, in fact, what she was doing could get people killed. Right. Yeah. And I think also at first the fact that she wanted to write it just to get a job. Right. Like, that's... I don't love that. Yeah, that's why... Yeah, that's but, why I mean, she... At the end I, of the day... She, it just seems like she fell in... Like, she accidentally became... It was never her intention to mm-hmm. change things. She just wanted to show a perspective. I was going to say, but at the end of the day, like, she did something good for the people of the death. Yeah. The maids of Jackson, Mississippi. Alright, we ready to move on to Abilene. A.B.? We ready to move down to A.B.? Yes. Oh, I love Abilene. I think she, like, even though Skeeter is maybe, I think, one of the one of the three main focuses, I definitely think Abilene is a much more, like, rich character. I think Minnie is my favorite by far, which, like, I think that's pretty typical, but Abilene is just, like, she's, like, the relatable figure, like, she, and I don't, I think it's, I think her story is really heartbreaking because we get a lot of, like, that pull or, like, the struggle Mm -hmm. that women in her position had of, like, my boss is telling me racist things and, like, to keep my job I have to say yes, but I also don't want this little girl to grow up believing that and like having to balance that story is just hard and impossible and no one should have to be in that position um so that struggle was just heartbreaking for me yeah it and it's it sucks that i mean even in i don't remember where where it's at or what even she's agreeing to but she's saying i hate having to say yes ma'am to this but i really hate having to say yes ma'am to this in front of what's her name May it's Mowgli. if she likes her toilet right oh no no, no. it's yeah. like the toilet thing and then also like would you like to go to a school with white people right right yes, yeah she's like yeah i like that toilet <laughs> but she does i think at, i think she does say <laughs> yeah i would nice rather i wouldn't want to go to an all-white school but if we were you know, whites and blacks were together, sure. Right. But then she has to combat yeah. Mae Mobley's uh, education when she starts going to school. 
she has a idiotic teacher that is telling her how unclean or not smart colored people are and so she's having to combat not only yeah that she's gonna grow up not like her mom but also she's not gonna listen to her teachers right right yeah she may mobley um they're supposed to draw a picture of themselves and may mobley draws herself as black in this photo and the teacher tells her that oh no you can't draw yourself like that that means you're dirty and stupid how horrifying like how horrifying that's taught in schools but Aveline is a very interesting character because she's actually a lot different than her, the other maids. Um, we realize, like, Constantine and um, there's, you know, a few other maids that, that is discussed that we realize that they stay with the families for as long as possible. But Aveline is different, and she only stays until the kids are, like, eight or nine years old. And then she moves on to a new family because she realizes that it's her calling to take care of the children instead of just the household. And so, you know, her current stationing is with Elizabeth and May Mobley and then later her younger brother. But, you know, it's only a few more years that she's planning on being there. And I guess maybe this is because, well, first she realizes just how good she is with the children. Ever since she was um, like 14 or 15, she's realized she was good with them. But then also I think it has to do with her son passing away, uh, which that was only two years ago at the time of this book. But, you know, she realizes that not only has she raised her son, but she's had, you know, 20 other babies that she had some hand in raising. And I think that's important to her. And just like the fact that she, the fact that she writes down her prayers every night, um, like from a religious aspect, uh, she's definitely like a spiritual leader in her community because when someone's going through something, they want Abilene to pray for them. Um, because she makes a habit, like she spends an hour to every evening writing those down. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which I think, like, she is very revered in her community, um, which is really cool. And I think the fact that she, like you were saying, Tori, she is more of this nanny figure than um, a maid, per se, um, is really neat about her. She's just such a sweet character, and she's just so precious. Um, but she's also just so courageous, and the fact that she makes the decision to, um, like, talk to this white woman and tell her stories in a time whenever, like, she could literally just be shot on the street for doing it or have her house set on fire or a hundred different things, she's she's still the first one to say, you know what, this story needs to be told. It's worth it, and I'm going to do it. Yeah, and it is interesting when they are discussing the possible outcomes of their, uh, you know, what what could become of them if they are caught. It is interesting that they they keep focusing on the women of Jackson and, and how detrimental it would be if they realized that they were discussing the women of Jackson and their stories because they think that the women can be 
just as, if not more dangerous than the men, because, you know, maybe the men will come and beat you and it'll be over. But with a woman, they don't forget, they say. And and so it might be 10 years down the line and you get fired from your job because somehow that woman has planted a seed that got, you know, through the grapevine and and they know somebody and then you lose your job <laughs> or something. Um, so they keep saying isn't how it, dangerous yeah. isn't it what Abilene Jackson called? are. Wasn't it called, like, the white women's sharp tools? Wasn't that what she called them? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Well, and it's this whole same idea of, like, just women in general. Like, if two guys are arguing about something, they're going to punch it out and then, like, go get a beer. Whereas with women, it kind of, if there's something going on, there's that, and I'm so guilty of this, but there's that, like, instinct to destroy and tear down without ever getting your hands dirty. Like, instead of punching it out, you find ways to undermine them and spread rumors and, you know, that kind of thing. Um, Which is a theme that plays out so in I think the book, that's... too. Yeah. I mean, not just with the women and their help, but also, like, the women and each other. When um, Hilly Holbrook and Skeeter have a falling out, it's... They just, like, ignore their calls. I'm not here. You know, so mm-hmm. or even with Miss Celia, you know, whenever she shows up, they're like, "Oh well, why don't you buy extra tickets for your friends that we know you don't have because we told everyone not to talk <laughs> yeah. to you." Like the friends you cannot make because of us. I think that's a nice segue into Minnie. Who? Yes. Oh, Minnie. Minnie Jackson is an amazing human being. I mean, I think she carries a lot of, like, Abilene's traits as far as, like, she wants to do what's right. And, like, she's stuck in this really hard position. Um, But she also handles them very differently because she's very sass them. And she talks back to her employers. And, but none of it's a lie. (laughs) So. Yeah, I love, like, just her sass and the fact that she really just can't keep it bottled in. Um, like she says the things that everyone's thinking and she, this works for a while because she's working for a woman who's basically deaf. So it's okay if she sass mouths Mrs. Walters because Mrs. Walters can't hear a darn thing she's saying. Um, and even if she can, she doesn't really care. And I just, I love that. I think it's hilarious. But Minnie ends up, she's the one who, uh, does the terrible awful to Miss Hilly. And it's referred to throughout the book as the terrible awful, which I think I just, is hilarious. That's like the, for someone like Hilly, who is so against having germs from someone who is a different color than she is, she's so afraid of the germs and the diseases and like protecting her children and all this. The fact that she literally consumed <laughs> Minnie's poop <laughs> so is gross. hilarious to me. Every time someone says that, I get it. It was like. I know. So I know. Gross. It just makes me laugh. I just love the way her mom reacts, though. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's great. Yes. Like, honestly, Miss Walters might be one of my favorite characters. And then she because buys her, the her reaction pie. of just, like, dying of laughter whenever Hilly eats pie. the pie. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's, great. that's so great. 
It's so great. Uh, Mrs. Walters is amazing. Yeah. I may not be able to remember my own name or what year it is or where I live, but I remember my daughter remember sent me to a nursing home. And you ate mini shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but let's talk about, like, Minnie's home situation for a second. So she's married. Yeah. So she's married to a man named Leroy. And, and at first he didn't really seem that bad. Uh, with number six on the way. Yeah, he definitely did not. Um, he's not great. Yeah. Well, he's kind of a piece of crap. And, like, Minnie is someone who speaks out to literally everyone else and is willing to, you know, take care of herself and fight for what she believes in, is unable to leave him. So he start first it seems like maybe he just drinks occasionally, and then maybe if she gets fired from another job, maybe he'll smack her or something. But then, as the story goes on, and he can tell that there is something that she's hiding from him, but he's not putting his finger on it, and she certainly isn't going to tell him that she is, you know, meeting up with this white lady and spilling her guts on her, you know, dirt on Jackson. But he knows that there's something going on. And as she is continued to hiding to hide it from him, he just gets worse and worse. He continues to show up drunk. And then even um, does he attempt to hit her while she's pregnant or something or does he end up hitting her and so she just leaves him he grabs her arm Mm -hmm. yeah well he like and normally he would never do that while she was pregnant pregnant. right but then i think he like threatened to burn like to lock her in the house and burn her down and that's why she finally left Mm -hmm. yeah whenever it came comes out that the book was released and like she was a part of it and she and he she She's the reason he got fired. Um, he threatens to lock her in the house, so. Yeah, for sure. So he's abusive to her, and Minnie finally just takes her babies and runs and escapes that that situation that she was living in. Um, anything else you want to say about Minnie? I love how she is this, you know, she sasses, and um, I also love her relation relationship with Celia, which we can talk about a little bit later. But um, I it's kind of it's kind of heartbreaking that she is like really sassy and sticks up for herself, even though it's not always in her best interest. But then when her daughter becomes school age or not school age, when her oldest daughter becomes old enough to get a job herself, she's like, oh, I hope, you know, don't sass mouth like don't don't sass back. Because it's kind of sad. You're right. like telling your well, daughter, don't be like yeah. me. her trouble in life. But as a whole, like, I do really adore Minnie. And I think that listening to a conversation one of my coworkers was having about, you know, if you're a mother and your husband beats you, you should take your kids and get out of there. Like, you're a coward if you don't. And I think, like, while I understand where she was coming from whenever she made that comment, like, Minnie makes it very clear she's afraid to be alone. And I think that it, it was really well done how they showed her as, I mean, she's this big, strong woman, but she's also very much in a situation where she's the victim. And, like, I really enjoyed that they showed those different sides of her character, because I think that the people who are the strongest and the toughest are the ones that we have to 
Like the ones who you don't realize, they're more likely to suffer in silence because they think they're supposed to be so strong and be able to fight back. So, Hilly Holbrook, opposite. Oh, Moon on to her opposite. She is. She okay. is vindictive. The devil in this book. Beach. <laughs> uh huh. He's not uh-huh. great. A terrible person who is very much deserving of the shit pie that she is given. Hilly is the queen bee of the uh, the uh, junior league in Jackson, and I feel like she's that typical, like stereotypical. She's the cheerleader. She was the prom queen. You know, she dated the quarterback. She is that Southern Belle. She has this, like, look of perfection. And she is, she's the one in charge. Um, when she says jump, everyone else says how high. She has discovered this. She has discovered that she has that power. And she is using it to her full advantage. She is not afraid to blackmail someone to get what she wants. Uh, she is not afraid to destroy some lives to make sure that her perfect world is never interrupted. That builds her some enemies, that makes a few enemies for her, but most people are just too afraid of her because they're afraid of her ostracizing them. They're afraid of being in a situation where they won't have any friends, where they won't have anyone to talk to because everything is so cliquish. Um, like, it makes me wonder, I'm I'm genuinely curious about this for Hilly. like, how did she get into that spot of power? Like, how did she gain that where everyone was so afraid of her? It's just, so it's just, in the book, it's just a given, like, she is what she is, and people just, like, deal with it, um, but I think, like, how she is in the book would also be how she came to power, like, being vindictive and sneaky, and people knowing that she can mess up their lives a lot, and, you know, she has a say in who gets what, and what job, and how long they keep it, and what people think of them, and so she slowly has just, like, gathered this army of people around her, that she, like, has some control over, um, and I'm sure it took years to build that network, but. Well, and I also wonder, too, if her, her family was considered to be, like, a powerful family in that area, and so I wonder if that played into it as well as, like, if she already had that, like, if her mother was like that, and so she just kind of took on that mantle. Her mother is dead in the book, so I'm not really sure. By the end, I think Hilly is kind of coming unraveled. It's interesting to see because she kind of puts up this facade that um, that she's got it all together and everything's perfect and she's like the perfect friend and the perfect matchmaker and a great mom and, you know, she's a good leader in, in their little league. And, but really it's, she, I mean, I'm going to play a little bit of devil's advocate, I guess, um, you know, before I do, I also think Hilly is the worst. <laughs> Um, you know, she's racist and ignorant uh-huh. and, um, really mean. But I understand, like, her husband is running for office and so they've spent a bunch of money and, um, she did have to, like, which I'm not sure her true feelings, I'm sure she was fine with it, but, you know, she had to leave her education to come support her husband and, you know, whatever, do that life. But then she also has to keep face because he's running for office and she's got to come up with something amazing to make their life seem so great. So she drafts this sanitation act where she like 
is fully convinced that it's good for them too, like we have diseases that their body can't handle. Isn't it great to have your own space? So, you know, I'm, by the end of it, she's, like, coming unwound, but, of course, you know, her social situation and home situation is never an excuse for that kind of horrible, horrible behavior. But I just definitely wouldn't want to be involved in Jackson at this time. Jackson's social or political circles. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, I can fully say that I probably wouldn't survive in this time frame because... Like, I'm not about this whole, like, oh, we're going to make sure that everyone has this and make sure that we all have that. And we're going to do exactly what this person says because that's exactly what we're supposed to do. Like, no. No. Ain't nobody got time for that. I talk too about much. <laughs> I talk too much. I talk back. I'd be many in this situation. <laughs> I'd get in trouble. Valid. I think I could play the nicety. But then at the end of the day, I'd be like, uh, like, I'll be nice to you, but there's something wrong with you people, and I'm going to work to undermine it. I think we can move on to Elizabeth Leifold. Elizabeth just kind of passively sucks. That's a great way to describe her. Well, I think if you're not, like, actively working against it, though, you're, like, for it, so. Yeah, I think Elizabeth doesn't, I'm not going to say she doesn't know enough. But, like, I, I don't she, think she cares enough to yeah. speak out against him. I just don't think she wants things to change. She's comfortable. She's not a leader, so she'll let somebody yeah. else tell her what to do. Um, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. so I just don't think she's got... She's fine with the way things are. Why would she want to change it? She's got this comfortable, um, comfortable situation where she's got a great help who takes care of her kid. Um, and a best friend who basically runs her life. (laughs) So, yeah, she doesn't want to deal with her her own kid. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she doesn't want to deal with her own kid, so it's perfect that she's got Abilene. Which is just wild to me, the fact that she hates her child for not being pretty. Like, that's her reasoning. But I agree, she just wants somebody to, like, she doesn't want to make decisions. She doesn't want to, like, have a complicated hard life. She just wants somebody to tell her what to do and... If Hilly does it, then she's happy with that, and she just wants to sew. She does love sewing. Um, what else can we say about Elizabeth? Does she have any redeeming qualities? No. I think she doesn't want Abilene <laughs> to be fired. Um, you know, she believes that Abilene didn't steal anything from her, but she's not gonna go up against... And I don't think it's because she's, like, got this deep-seated compassion for Abilene. She is completely doing it because she doesn't want to deal with her own children. (laughs) She doesn't want to have to deal with Mm -hmm. that, so she doesn't want Abilene to leave, but, you know, she just doesn't have the backbone to stand up against Hilly, so her perfect help is let go by her best friend. So, no. No redeeming qualities. Which is ridiculous. I love both of you. (laughs) I love both of you, but if you guys tried, like, not that I'd have a maid, but, like, if you tried to fire someone who worked for me, we would have problems. <laughs> As you should. Especially when you know it's just, like, a vindictive thing. It's not, like, a legitimate concern. Right. You know right. it's not real. It's not true why she's firing her, so. 
you're just letting her keep her position, you know, of power. <laughs> I was just going to say, like, the most redeemable white woman who has a maid is Celia Foot. And so let's talk about Miss Celia. Maybe it's because she didn't grow up with these women. She wasn't in Jackson. Hey, stop it. Well, I think she knows what it feels like to be on, like, the other side of the line. Where everyone yeah, hates you she and is... you're looked down upon and, like, you're yeah. not welcome. Shut up! Stop! <laughs> scratch, 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 scratch. Yeah, she understands what it's <laughs> what it feels like to be looked down upon and to be excluded. And... And so she feel she just doesn't have this capacity to treat many the way the others do. Um, you know, she's in this big house that she's never had anything like that growing up. And so, of course, she's not going to go sit in the big dining room by herself. You know, she wants to sit with Minnie and she wants to socialize with her and, and learn from her. So why would... You know, why would she... It just doesn't make sense to her the way that things are ran in Jackson. You know, she doesn't have that... Those same ideas that the other women do. Well, I think also the fact that she, like, really came from nothing. Like, she didn't even have electricity. Like, that definitely impacts her and her worldview. Like, she hasn't had the lives of the other women where she's not expected to work, where she's not expected to, you know, get her hands dirty. And so for her, the idea of, like, not hugging her maid, of you know, not having any kind of contact like that, like not eating lunch together, is just completely foreign. I think that, I think Celia, beyond needing help cleaning up that massive house, I think she just wants a friend. Yeah, definitely. Like, genuinely, I think that's part of the reason that she hired Minnie, is that she just wants somebody She's to talk lonely. to. Well, I think, I think one parallel we can draw is that her and Miss Skeeter both don't think that they deserve to be happy or be, like, to have a man. So, like, Skeeter doesn't think it because she's tall and ugly or whatever. And then Celia doesn't think specifically she deserves Mr. Johnny because she's backwoods and poor and can't cook mm -hmm. <laughs> other than, uh, what was it, grits or something or... Grits, uh, beans. She can make grits and corn pone and something else. So, oh no, she learns to make butter beans. That, yeah. But, but, yeah. uh, and she feels like they only were married because she was pregnant. And so when that ultimately, that pregnancy didn't lead to a baby, <laughs> um, wasn't full term, she realized that, you know, maybe he only did it to be a good man, to marry me, and, and, you know, she wants to make sure she tries everything to be worthy of, of keeping him. I definitely think she's trying to fight that imposter syndrome. Like, she feels like she's an imposter in this cushy world that she's found herself in. Yeah. Oh, man, but the way she acts at that Christmas party, or that benefit, that... <laughs> Oh my gracious. <laughs> oh, it's a big face palm. It really is. But I think also like you know, there's part of it where you're like, okay, she got she was super upset, so she got super drunk and 
like and probably nervous some, some things that she later regretted the first like in that moment you're ever like, been able to be around yeah. these people Ugh. and she thinks that she's doing something right she thinks she is trying to uh she thinks she's trying to explain why uh or explain to hilly that you know we weren't sleeping together while you were with johnny we we only got together after you broke up and so but ultimately her plan doesn't go as she envisioned it she gets there and of course is nervous and show and so she knocks back a few drinks and she's in this really tight dress and looks amazing so of course everyone's really or all the men anyways are really excited about giving her drinks or whatever and so by the time she does get the courage to speak to hilly it's pretty much a disaster however i I like to think that it's a disaster to lead, that leads to something positive, though, because even though uh, she's immediately uh, horrified and decides she's going to pack up and move back home, when uh, Minnie comes in and sees her bags, she shares the terrible awful that she has done to Miss Hilly. She shares that with Celia and says, that's why she reacted so poorly to you. It's actually my fault, not yours. And so, uh, despite this terribly awful and I'm sure embarrassing night, she gets to a point where I think she can let go of feeling ostracized by these women because uh, they, they're pretty awful and she doesn't need them. Uh, she realizes that the, maybe they won't be as good of friends as she had hoped. And, you know, maybe she's got a, a better friend in Minnie. So I just want to, uh, I just want to put myself in Celia's shoes there. What do you do when your trusty cook says, I shit in someone else's pie? I, I mean, like, you just have to have a lot of trust. They won't shit in yours, but. I guess she hasn't also I, done anything to warrant it. Yeah, I think I would, it would, I would r- just continue to be the, as nice as possible to her. <laughs> Use her as an <laughs> asset and hope that I never get on her bad side. Well, it's funny because like everyone says that the dinner that she they made for her was, you know, because they wanted to thank her for keeping Celia alive. And like, you all, we all know it's because please don't make us a pie like that. Please don't make us a pie like that. We'll make you food. <laughs> we promise not to fire you. We love you. Don't feed us shit. Yeah, no, I would definitely be, like, super grossed out. Like, it would be really hard for me to look at her. I'd be like, um, I'm very uncomfortable right now. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. But I would also be honesty. like, damn. Maybe it's just honesty. Damn. Mad respect. <gasps> True. <laughs> True. That's yeah. a good point. I mean, you could have been killed, lady. You're a black woman in the South in the 1960s, and you pooped in a white lady's pie. Literally. (laughs) Yeah. And told her. Oh, my gosh. And told Uh her. Yeah. All I can say is I don't really want chocolate custard pie anytime soon. Practically speaking. 
How would you even do that? Like, I I have questions. Yeah. I don't want to think about it. <laughs> yeah. I'd, yeah. I'd, no. It is a rabbit trail, but I'll put that out there to That's our listeners. Um, from a practical standpoint, because we're all about practicality here. <laughs> Only email. What with the recipe? Yeah. What's email, the recipe? Yeah. yeah, how do you make it, like, the consistency good? Like, genuinely, you couldn't put that much in there. The consistency would be all off. It'd be super whack. All right. I need to stop talking about poop pie. I just have lots of questions. Yeah, like Jade was saying, email me. Let me know your thoughts. I'm genuinely curious. Like, Only Danielle. We, none of us want We'll put out a poll on social media. It'll be great. Y'all can let me know your thoughts. All right. I will concede. We can move on. All right. Um, I think that wraps up Celia. And uh, it really only leaves us two important characters, but not super important to get enough into detail. Uh, Stuart and Skeeter's mother, Charlotte Phelan. They're kind of in the same boat. Yeah, they're both pretty archaic characters. I mean, they, um, they're really symbols of, you know, the pr- I wouldn't say the pride. I guess pride would be a good word, like the word that I want to use for it, but... They're kind of the symbols of, like, that propriety from the South. Like, you don't do things that could draw attention to you negatively. Um, I just kind of hate Stuart, honestly. He's just kind of a jerk. But I think, like, as far as uh, Charlotte Phelan definitely has some redemption. But, like, with Stuart, he broke up with his original fiance because she slept with someone who was part of a um, civil rights movement. And he wasn't so much mad at her because she slept with somebody else, which I find interesting. Um, It was the fact that it was somebody who was part of civil rights and could hurt his father's campaign. So, I don't know. Right out of the gate, he's just kind of a a crappy person. And then the way he treats Skeeter at dinner, like, all of it is just kind of like, I don't really like this person. I don't know. What do you guys think? What solidified it for me was the way he let everybody treat Skeeter during the dinner with his parents. Oh my gosh, yeah. their parents. I would be like, don't, don't ever, ever leave me alone with your father if all he's going to talk about is how messed up yeah. you were. Oh my gosh, yeah. your last girlfriend. <laughs> yeah, for real. Like, that's <laughs> not okay. Great that's time. not healthy. That was real fun for me. Thanks. Well, and, like, also from the perspective of her as a woman, like, Peter is definitely more progressive than all the people that she's around. And she's really just kind of being treated like she's only there to be arm candy to Stuart. And I really, like, I didn't love that either. That whole I did kind of like Stuart's dad, though. I mean, besides the fact that he was a drunk and was constantly talking about, what's her name? Patricia. He had potential to be a really good character, and then he just kind of, like, fell off the grid. So... Those are my thoughts on them. What do we think about Charlotte? I think, like you said, she just definitely has some redemption at the very end. I do love the way she talked to Hilly. Yeah, I feel like she had one of the best lines of like, oh, wow, like that thing on your lip is really unattractive. I should set up an appointment for you to get your hair done and, you know, to look better because you look really rough right now. Like, I really appreciated that. But overall, both representations of old southern values with Stuart staying in them and Charlotte feeling somewhat taking some steps in the right direction. 
Yeah, Charlotte definitely ranks higher than Stuart in my book. Yeah, the two characters definitely show the pushback of a transitioning era and those that were on the wrong side of history at that time. (laughs) That's a good way to put it. All right, so any other characters we feel like we need to talk about before we move on? Nope. So what ideas do we have to discuss? Okay, so I just want to take a second to talk about the lawn toilet scene. Both the scene, like the book, the scene in the book and the scene in the movie. Like, I want to talk about both of these because it was quite possibly my favorite scene in the entire book and in the entire movie. Um, I just kind of loved it. Like, I think I may have loved that more than Minnie's pie scene because it was such a, like, very public way for Hilly to um, really be, like, humiliated. I didn't like what she did with it afterwards and how she was like, oh, this donation went to the Home Help Sanitation Initiative. But just, like, this image of of her walking out and all of these toilets being, like, being sat on her front lawn, I just kind of love it. Like, that is... That is a next level prank. Um, I don't know if you guys ever had the thing growing up where they would put toilets on people's lawns. Nope. Okay, maybe that was just where I was from. <laughs> there was a thing like where I'm from that, like people would, you had to pay to get the toilet removed. It was a way to make money. So like they, somebody would put a toilet on your lawn that was really like they put flowers in it and stuff like that. But to get it removed, you had to pay a certain amount of money, Ew. and that all went to charity. So. It was for a good cause, but it was that just That is like, the weirdest thing I've ever heard. I am ever. That I'm is from, so strange. That is very strange. I'm from a, a weird place, so there's a, that's okay. There's a lady about 20 miles. We used to put forks in people's yard as a joke. <laughs> that's fair. Jane, there's you a say? lady who lives like 20 miles away from no my toilets. house who uh, uses toilets as flower vases, but so it's like Hilly's lawn except for permanent. Oh, no, we have some of those, too. Um, whenever I would drive, whenever I'd leave my parents' house and go to school, one yard I passed, I think, had two or three toilets in it as vases. That is so... Ugh. It's pretty messed up. It's pretty messed up. <laughs> okay, so um, critiques of the book? Um, so it's mostly, I guess, takes it up with the movie, but I've heard it a little bit with the book. Um, so Vi- Viola Davis plays our main character, um, well, one of our, I guess, mm-hmm. I would say, like, three competing main characters, mm-hmm. um, Abilene, and she actually says she regrets acting in the movie due to the mm-hmm. fact that it has, it focuses more on the story of the white women than of the maids themselves. It's this book about writing a book about maids, but mm-hmm. we barely get the story of the maids in it. We get, like, a very short portion of it. So I thought that Mm -hmm. was very interesting. Yeah, that is a really good point. Like, the book is, the movie is very different from the book. I will say that. I actually watched it um, last week as we were getting ready for this book. And I was just kind of like, oh, there's a lot of, like, really good things that they cut out and rearranged. And, like, I agree with you. I think it's more, it feels like the movie is more focused on Skeeter. Mm Mm-hmm. Than the book is. So. Just interesting. But Viola Davis is a wonderful, wonderful actress. Um, And so is Octavia Spencer. But But there's a lot of ways that the book and the movie differ between one another. And that just happens to be one of them. So. Was there ever anything like publicly critiquing it? 
besides what Viola Davis said? Uh-huh. I don't want to say yes or no because I'm. I say I'm sure there's critiques. I'm sure of it. there is, but if I, I'm just not aware of mm-hmm. the yeah. specifics. <laughs> Jade, I'm glad you looked it up because I definitely yeah, did not. So, um, at the time of its release, the movie, not the book, uh, it was criticized for playing mm-hmm. into a classic white savior narrative. So there was one headline, mm. and this is all a quote from an article by Vanity Fair, mm-hmm. so I don't want to take any work. Um, and the headline was, How Racist is the Help? And Wesley Morris. Um, yeah, I did see that yeah, one as well. Provincial white do-gooderism. When you had put it in our notes, I mm-hmm. looked it up. So the movie, I mean, the movie got critiques from more than just the actors. And I think that that critique is present in the book itself i mean Minnie immediately lashes out saying you think we need your help some white lady coming in here helping us mm-hmm. so i think that there the writer is aware that this like this would be a pr- present day as well as critique mm-hmm. of the time so mm-hmm. i'm still okay yeah, with the book interesting it has like its positive qualities that's just an interesting critique that came across yeah, yeah, it is, definitely. Absolutely. It makes sense, especially with the movie. Like Danielle said, I, I mean, it does focus all, mostly on Skeeter. All right. So one thing that's really interesting about The Help is these taboo topics that it kind of discusses. Topics that are really, for 1960s Mississippi, were definitely taboo. Um, so like the topic of miscarriage. Tori alluded to this earlier, whenever she was talking about Celia. And how Celia's first pregnancy with Johnny, the reason that they got married, uh, didn't result in a baby. She miscarried. And she miscarried multiple times. Um, and one of these was whenever Minnie was working working for her. And, like, I think even now, miscarriage is definitely something that people don't talk about. Um, it's still kind of one of those taboo topics. So I just thought it was really, really interesting for this book to really cover that and to really delve into it whenever, you know, it was really during a time whenever that wouldn't be talked about. And then the LGBTQIA plus awareness. So it comes up three times in this book. And the first one, I really want to get you guys' thoughts on this because the first one is whenever Skeeter's mother basically says, whenever Skeeter isn't getting any dates, she goes, you know, Skeeter, are you, are you attracted to men? And then proceeds to talk about this uh, miracle cure tea. And I gotta say, guys, whenever I read that, like, I just kind of, like, slapped myself in the face. I was like, what on earth? What on earth is happening right now? 1960s. Well, and I'm like, I don't even remember what it was in the tea. But I'm just like... What will solve all of the lesbians' problems? <laughs> <laughs> what tea? What magic tea? Oh my gracious. Like, that's the thing. Uh, Tea with whiskey, so she doesn't care anymore about her. I feel like there's, this is the start, is this the start of the detox tea craze? (laughs) The magic tea? Maybe. First it was, get rid of your gay, and now it's, get rid of your unwanted bloating with magic weight loss tea. That's a really... <laughs> tea can only do so much. Oh, yeah. I, and I, I love, love tea. Good, I do, too. I love a good cup of tea, but something tells me that one cup of tea 
can now all of a sudden make you become straight. I'm just, I'm just putting it out there. Maybe, maybe the right tea is now there. Maybe we haven't discovered that tea, but I don't know. But what if you're already straight and you drink it? Like, what is their logic with this tea? Like, genuinely, what is their logic with this tea? I don't understand how, how people believe that. They believed a lot of things back then. That I they did. They did. And then the next was Abilene talking about a former child of hers who had exhibited some feminine tendencies or qualities when he was young, and his father did not take to that very well. Yeah, his father beat him every day. And so Abilene, whenever she was talking to Skeeter about the thing that she hated most about being a maid, she basically said it was the entire time that she worked for this family um, and took care of this little boy because every day his father would take him out to the woodshed, try and beat the gay out of him, um, and then bring him back. And she'd have to get the salve for, like, his welts and bruises. Like, that's just... That's horrifying. And I... There are people who I know that were young in the 60s and are living their best gay lives. And so, you know, they could have experienced something similar to that. And that is um, tragic. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The fact that people thought if you beat your kid enough, they won't be gay. Like, that's just, that makes me sick to think about. And 1963 wasn't that long ago. Like you said, Tori, you know people who were alive in the 60s. It's absolutely insane to me. Yeah, it's, it was a lot different than it is now. I would yeah. uh, fight back just a little bit on that. I don't think we're that far removed from it. There's still a lot of kids I know getting kicked out of their homes. Um because of lack of acceptance. Mm. So it's not like mm-hmm. punching yeah. them in the face, but it's mm-hmm. a, a different kind of abuse whenever they throw them on the street and can't provide for themselves. So I would say much better, but definitely not far removed. Yeah. But still, no, absolutely, especially in like rural areas. I Definitely, I just don't want to. I know we have a lot further to go. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to discredit the strides that have been made, especially not, and I'm not saying I completely agree there are uh, individuals and groups who still push against this. I've experienced it myself within my close family unit, but, or some of them, but at least. There are now social and kind of fictive family support systems that these individuals can rely on mm-hmm. that were there maybe in the underground back then, but I'm just glad as a like ge- general society, we are starting oh, to move in the right direction, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I completely agree that there's still a long way to go. But the third instance is a little bit more of a, a positive light. Um, before we move on to that one, though, I just wanted to say there was one moment where Abilene was talking about this kid 
and how she wishes that she had gone up to him and took his head in her hands and told him that he was loved the way he was. Like, that made me cry, y'all. Like, that that 110% made me cry. But the third instance was whenever uh, Skeeter was forced to go on a date with her third cousin removed. And she's like, he was very nice. It was very obvious that I'm not his type. And she was trying to, like, find a way to tell her mother. Um, like, hey, this guy isn't interested in me at all because I'm not his type without actually coming out and saying it. But I did appreciate, like, the way that she went about it. She was like, we just didn't gel. We weren't each other's type. It's fine. Okay, so another taboo topic that this book was talking about is suicide and depression. So we didn't really touch on Luann, but Luann is a white woman who, in the book, originally, whenever Skeeter first meets her, she calls her, like, this this dumb blonde with a cheerleader smile who agrees with everything and just like doesn't stop smiling ever and we find out right towards the end of the book that so she wears long sleeves all the time um and everyone thinks it's because she has psoriasis and it's actually to cover up self-harm scars in her chapter in the book was and the, the book that was written was very positive from Lavinia the maid's point of view uh Luann like gave her time to take care of her grandson whenever he got hurt she you know drove her to the hospital all this stuff and you find out later it's like this is Luann's way of thanking her for helping her get out of bed in the morning and like helping her want to stay alive that was definitely a topic that was talked about in the 1960s like you know people still have trouble talking about suicide I think it was really brave that this was included in this book. I definitely like how they showed a different side of Luann. Skeeter initially painted her as vapid and kind of a sheep, mm-hmm. another sheep of Hilly's. Just as she is hiding a part of herself, she realizes mm-hmm. that some of these ladies that she come in con- comes into contact with are also hiding a a piece of themselves and so maybe she's learning not to so quickly judge others yeah that too that was something that was like i i really enjoyed skeeter's growth through this and i don't think we got to see that in the movie at all but in this she kind of has that growth of or she has this line where luann she says that luann understood the purpose of the book without ever reading it that we're just two people and just because we have different skin colors doesn't make us any different So that was, for the character that she was in the book, Luann in that moment was so pivotal for the story. So the last taboo topic, if we want to call it that, I guess kind of depends on your opinions, but um, is the fact that it's Skeeter is sort of what you could classify as a second wave feminist. So second wave feminism focused a lot on getting women out of the house and saying like, hey, you don't have to feel bad about not wanting to be a housewife who um, is married and raises children. Like you can get out there and be intellectual and um, be hardworking and like feel okay with that. And so Skeeter wanting to get out of her mother's house, um, who her mother hadn't worked other than hiring her own maids. Skeeter is embracing that second wave feminism just to uh 
go and and get her job in New York. Awesome. Thank you. And I would just like to say, like, Jade is the best for any questions about the entire feminist movement. Like, whenever I whenever we were putting the notes together for this, I was like, I can't wait to hear Jade talk about this because, like, you're so good at it. And I love it. And I just love how much you know about it. And yeah, I just really enjoy hearing you talk about it. Oh, yeah. And your minor. Yes. And she has a degree in this. It's really interesting because depending on like what what exact year did we say this book was? 1963. So 1963 is the first year that like technically defines second wave feminism. I mean, the years are subject to change um, depending on who you're talking to and what what they believe. Um, So it falls right in line with that. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so it's if you think feminism is taboo, then it's a taboo topic. But otherwise, for 1960s, it was pretty taboo. So especially 1960s Mississippi. Yeah. Yeah, because like Skeeter is really whenever she mentions that she doesn't want to be a housewife, everyone kind of freaks out because because it wasn't done. Unless you were a talk show host, <laughs> you weren't you or an actress. Unless you were a talk show host or an actress, you stayed home. So thank you for sharing that, Jade. We will call on you again for more. As we get into more historical books, we're going to call on you again for our feminism tidbit feminism tidbit of the story our feminist reading as we put on our hermeneutical (laughs) hats we will ask jade well i don't know if we told everyone but we all have the same masters but we all have different bachelors so i have history and religious studies slash philosophy um with a minor in gender and then i'll let the other two tell all their credentials so i have a again the master's in religious studies um i also have a graduate certificate in conflict and dispute resolution and then for my undergrad i have a major in theater studies uh with a minor in religious studies um i (laughs) stuck to my guns i have a (laughs) master or a bachelor of silent science geez bachelor of science in religious studies with a minor in human resource management and master's in Religious studies focused on sociological analysis. <laughs> I did not and that's know ethnographic so studies, I guess. I did know that, actually. I did not. Yes, ma'am. But, but that's why she was the one who got us all through grad school. That's true. She could research <laughs> like, I managed uh-huh. the shit out of you. <laughs> yeah, you, <did. laughs> you really did. You really did. You got me to class um, Sundays. I didn't want to go, so uh, there we go. <laughs> There you go. She, that's also the reason why she was the only one who used hermeneutical. <laughs> also true. <laughs> All right. I so, haven't heard that word literally since I graduated. <laughs> I heard it this summer with my comps. <laughs> nice. With that, I think it takes us to favorite quotes. Okay. All right. So who wants to go first? Danny. All right. I am going first. first on the list. Okay, here we go. Um, so my favorite quote is one from Yule May. So Yule May was Hilly's maid who was fired and sent to prison for stealing. And so I'm just going to read this quote real quick and then we'll talk about it. My boys are equally as smart, equally eager for an education, but we only had the money for one. And I ask you, how do you choose which of your twin sons should go to college and which should take a job spreading tar? 
How do you tell one that you love him just as much as the other, but you've decided he won't be the one to get a chance in life? You don't. You find a way to make it happen. Any way at all. So Yul May um, had gone to college herself, and then she had never graduated. Um, she dropped out to get married and then had her boys. Uh, but she was working for Hilly Holbrook. She had asked Hilly for a loan, and Hilly basically told her, like, I'm not giving you a loan because it's not the Christian thing to do. I'm going to um, do you a favor and make you work for it, which got my blood boiling. <laughs> um, and so Hilly then, um, like, you may find Hilly's old ring that Hilly never wears. It was one that she got, and it was cheap, and she didn't like it, so she hid it somewhere. And Yul May decided to steal it and pawn it to get the money to send her sons to college. And she was caught and sent to prison. And normally that sentence was four months or six months. And Hilly turned it into four years because she knows someone who was also the fastest trial. I think it was done and over within 15 minutes. I just really thought that was a powerful quote. Like it was one that really hit me hard. And, and Yul May's whole story was just absolutely like gut-wrenching. So... Yeah, that was my quote. I think it also shows just, like, how much parents do for their kids in general. Like, you're willing to upend heaven and earth, and even if that means you have to steal from this horrible woman who could ruin your future, you gotta try. Pretty heartbreaking, definitely. Because you would not be able to... You wouldn't be able to choose. Oh, no. Genuinely, like, in that position, I don't want to say I feel like I would be inclined to do the same, but it would definitely cross my mind. Like, in that position, I can't say that I wouldn't do it, you know? All right. I guess it's my turn. (laughs) On that note of me stealing things, uh, Tori's up. I promise I'm not klepto, guys. It's fine. Okay. Hold on one second. Hey! I'm recording in here! I hope you're talking to a dog. (laughs) No, I'm talking to my mother. (laughs) Okay. So my favorite quote, um, one that I marked down is in, let's see, Skeeter is telling of the multiple interviews she has done and she talks about a particular, she had just talked about Luann and um, Luvenia's story and she um, is reflecting on these as well as stories of women fighting off white men who have attempted to touch them inappropriately. Um, So she's really going over all of this. And she says, The dichotomy of love and disdain living side by side is what surprises me. What surprises me. Most are invited to attend the white children's weddings, but only if they're in their uniforms. These things I already know, yet hearing them from the colored mouths, is it is as if I am hearing them for the first time. That's so good. really just her appreciating and understanding that this these new perspectives are changing her the way she views the world, her world. I also think um, with your quote, the... The fact that she calls out, like, love and disdain, like, that's that's a huge cognitive dissonance moment with that mm-hmm. that people have to use. I don't know. I find that really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I really, I like And I think that kind of goes with the whole, 
the people you care for and love the most can hurt you the most. Just like Skeeter's mother, I'm sure that could have been the worst, some of the worst hurt that their former maid, Constantine, could have felt when she was turned away from the home or or she said she quit, but that betrayal. Yeah. When you pour so much effort and so much of your life into taking care of a group of people, like taking care of a family, and then for them to to betray you like that, like that would just be awful. And like even with like Elizabeth and Abeline, whenever there was nobody else there, Elizabeth was I mean, I would say she was more tolerant towards Abeline. Whereas whenever Hilly's there, it's immediately like, oh, well, go do this. Go do, like, she enjoyed ordering her around more whenever other people were around. And then I think that leaves me. Uh, and I picked, like, there's not one quote. It's like a little mini story. Um, but I will. Whenever they're talking about Skeeter's father getting Constantine a fan in the kitchen, and she says, I'm never going to work in a fan with a, a kitchen with a fan. And then he does it anyways, and she's like, okay. And then he does it. And then this is my quote. So Daddy flipped the switch. In seconds it took to get really going, cake flour blew up from the mixing bowl and swirled around the room. Recipes flapped off the counter and caught fire on the stovetop. Constantine snatched the burning roll of parchment paper, quickly dipped it in the bucket of water. There's still a hole where the ceiling fan hung for ten minutes. And I just... I love this quote. <laughs> um, it shows how, like, bosses sometimes think they know what's best. Like, we're going to do this. And employees are like, nah And the bosses are like, uh-huh. And then <laughs> all hell breaks loose. It's a, it's a mess. Mm-hmm. They, they think they're doing you a favor. Mm-hmm. But instead of asking you, they just take the liberty to do it. Yes. Even though you know it's not going to work. And their efforts could have been better spent somewhere else Mm -hmm. that probably actually would help you. (laughs) Right. And like, you know, that ceiling fan wasn't cheap. So it's like wasted money and wasted time. When if they had just said, hey, do you want this? Like it would have saved them so much if they had just like asked first. But that'd be too easy. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I just, I was like, oof, relevant. I love that. Any final thoughts? So, I'm not sure why, but for some reason, like I said earlier that I read this whenever I was in, like, junior high, early high school, um, for some reason, I I don't remember why, but I had it in my head that the reason that Constantine left was because she had an affair with Skeeter's dad, and I don't know where I got that from. Like, I'm not sure where I found that at, like, where my brain was pulling that out of. But, like, I was definitely surprised to reread that portion and be like, wait a second, that's not why Constantine left? Like, why did she actually leave? Yeah, I that really has no pertinence to what we're talking about, but just that was something that was really weird to me because I definitely walked into it thinking that that was the reason why. So, it just goes to show you, reread the books that you read whenever you were younger. Pretty cool how Constantine's daughter just shows up to the white lady party. <laughs> <laughs> I do love it. One more thing, and I don't know if this was just a me thing or what. So a few of the terms that were used in here, like, I know that they were correct for that time period. But, like, whenever they're talking about Constantine's daughter and, like, her being 
this quote high yellow like because her skin tone was so pale like there were a lot of different things that were said where i was just like this this phrasing really makes me uncomfortable like i really don't like this and i think it just shows like the difference between now and the early 1960s but like i don't know if it was you guys but every time i read like someone saying these these colored women sitting in front of me like i just cringed so i don't know if you guys did that too or if it was just me Am I making this up or did they say that because of her skin being lighter, things were harder on her? Did I make that up? I don't remember if it's in this book or not, but I know that's like something that multiple books about this time period have talked about because like they're too white to fit in with the um, people who are black, but they're too black to fit in with white people. Yeah, I get it. I had just thought it the other way in certain I guess it would be hard either way um just in different ways because I did watch that Netflix show about um I do not I should have looked this up before I brought it up but (laughs) the Netflix show about the the African-American woman who started her own hair and cosmetics line and she stole the recipe for the hair products from another woman who was um, a mixed ethnicity and so she had lighter skin and and hair that wasn't that was more like a white woman's hair and so the whole critique of the thing of that of the lighter skinned woman was that you know they they want to look like me that's why they buy from me Mm. or something but I think that concept though like it's harder on people who are mixed because it's harder for them to fit in with the culture. Like it's that same idea that, yes, sorry, either. It comes from the point, it's almost like the same idea of people who are bi not being seen, or was was it people who are bi or people who are trans? Because there was this whole movement. No, it's people who are bi. Okay. People saying, oh, you're not really like part of the LGBT legitimately in any yeah like i feel like that yeah i understand that i mean i definitely know some older individuals or i knew i guess older individuals in my own family who would have seen them uh make uh, someone of a mixed ethnicity as illegitimate and like against god's code (laughs) yeah i mean that's horrible but I definitely know. Isn't it crazy that we know that? Like, know people like that? Mm-hmm. Like, that's just horrifying to me. Anyway, sorry. I know that was, like, a really weird rabbit trail, but it was something I was thinking about, like, as your process. I'm like, am I the only one, like, this phrasing is making super uncomfortable? We are going extremely long. We are. I apologize to our listeners. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, I think we're ready to wrap it up. Make sure to like, subscribe, share with your friends. Email us if you have questions. Contact us on our social media. We have that now. Yeah, and you can find us um, on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. It's under, and TikTok, I think, too, Tori. I think Tori made a TikTok. I got a TikTok, and I have not posted any TikToks, but... We'll work on that. Maybe by the time this episode comes out, we'll have posted some TikToks. In the next, yeah, in eight weeks. (laughs) In eight weeks when this episode goes live, maybe we'll be TikTok famous. Possibly. (laughs) Let's just add that on there. Share this podcast with your friends. 
and we hope that you enjoyed. Five-star rating, please. All the ratings. And even if you didn't enjoy, please share with your friends and tell them to listen to us. And if you don't give us a five-star rating, please, like, please explain why. (laughs) Don't just give us a bad rating and then not say why, because that's mean. That is very mean. Yes, absolutely. Like, that's a really good... We would like to grow. Yes, that's such a... We would like to grow and change. We want your feedback. Um, We know this is really early, and we definitely want feedback, so... We will take our comments as the as the resident theater major. I will take your feedback and we will process it. And we may cry a little, but it'll be okay. Also <laughs> also Jade's audio will get significantly better in the middle of this episode. <laughs> so that's Shout cool. out to my new mic. <laughs> magic. It's magic. <laughs> it's magic. <sighs> it's Anyways. But uh yeah. Thank you for tuning in, and next week we 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 next episode we will be discussing The Handmaid's Tale. So definitely read the book if you can't be bothered to read the book. Listen to our summary pre-pod episode, or you can probably just watch the first season of the Hulu show because it's pretty good. It's good, but it's a little different, but not significant. Be ready for the episode so um until then brb for now brb brb